Today's episode of the Hot Four podcast is brought to you by Premier Systems, creators of Brewman, the UK's number one brewery management software used by over 200 breweries and distilleries of all sizes. The end-to-end system covers all back office functions such as CRM, stock control, distribution, cash tracking, reporting, raw material purchase ordering and traceability. Brewman helps brewers focus on making great beer, not doing paperwork. Brewman is a cloud-based subscription service with no long-term contracts or any setup fees and starts from just £20 a month. If you would like more information about Brewman or to book a demo of this software, please get in touch at 02380-811-100. That's 02380-811-100. Or email sales at premiersystems.com or visit the website premiersystems.com. This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello, Fuggle-loving criminals, Lupin Loopies and Monster Mashers, and welcome to another sesh of the Hot 4 podcast. Uh, When I moved into the world of beer and business, uh, being entrusted with managing a brewery, I had an epiphany through a book first published in 1986 called The E-Myth, revisited and revised by Michael Gerber. As I read the first several chapters, it was as if the author had been spying on me and the business of which I found myself in. For those who haven't read the book, and I highly recommend that you do, uh, the premise is this. Most people who start their own companies think that they're an entrepreneur when in fact they're a technician, i.e. they know how to do the technical work in this instance, brewing beer, uh, more so than the entrepreneurial work. So an entrepreneur is somebody who knows how to do the work of building a company and working on the business and not in it. And so a lot of people who start these small businesses who know how to do the technical work all of a sudden find that they're thrust into a world of of business and numbers and figures and all the rest of it and hate it um, because what they like to do is the creative thing or whatever it is they're good at i.e the technical work so you should definitely check out this book and i wish with every fiber of my being that every small brewer or business owner out there would read it and heed its message because it explains so much as to why so many brewers out there as the book puts it are always quote unquote doing it doing it doing it but never getting it done you can't separate business from beer or running a brewery at least and I genuinely believe moving into the future, great breweries will need to also be great businesses. So I was really pleased just before Christmas when David Laird, a fellow consultant to the industry, also known as the Bearded Beer Baron, approached me about coming on the Hot Four podcast to talk about the business of beer, a topic which by now you should have guessed it is very, very close to my heart. 
Coming from a traditional sales background where he learned the ropes, David moved into the beer industry working for Beer 52, where he helped develop and grow the Ferment magazine, which I'm pretty sure you've probably all seen at some point. Having done a stint at Carrot Technology working with Yeast, David is now a fellow consultant working with brands such as Flavourly and breweries such as Loch Lomond up in Scotland, amongst others. Uh, in this episode, we look at everything from beer subscription models and mail order beers, uh, the challenges that many brewers face when it comes to sales, and take a general look over the industry as it stands today at the start of a new decade. Now, you'll have to forgive the sound quality a little bit in this episode. I'm not going to lie to you, it's not amazing. However, I suggest you lean in, so to speak. There you go, I'm getting the management crap in there. Uh, because um, what David says is really valuable stuff. So rather than listening to this whilst you're out on your run, you might want to listen to this episode somewhere where you can sit down uh, and grab a pen and take some notes. Because actually, I think you'll find it really beneficial to you and your beer business to soak up. Uh, David's knowledge and insights. Before we crack open today's episode, here are some ways you can support Hot Forward. Firstly, follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. I'm also on LinkedIn, which is an increasingly great way to connect with people business to business, so come find me on there. Secondly, subscribe to the show and leave a review on iTunes. It doesn't just boost my ego, which, let's face it, it does a little bit, um, but it actually helps get the podcast out there to a wider audience and people who might benefit from it in the industry who might not have heard of it before. And finally, please visit hotforward.beer. Yes, that is a real website address uh, where you can find out more about the digital marketing and branding services that we offer along with the brewery and business consultancy to help you get ahead in your beer business. So settle down for today's session with David Laird, the Bearded Beer Baron. Today, my guest on the Hot Four podcast is the Bearded Beer Baron, David Laird. Hello. Afternoon, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? Yeah, slow day but uh good to fit this in cool man yeah I, I wanted to get you on the podcast today uh talk about your background in the beer industry and, and just sort of some general beer industry chat so uh, why don't you tell our listeners who don't know you a little bit about yourself and your background in the beer industry yeah um essentially came came from kind of 15 years of generic sales background landed with a company called beer 52 about three years ago Massively fell in love with the industry and the people and the culture. And yeah, three years later, I'm still within the industry and I've just, you know, into year three of Bearded Beer Baron now. Um, so I feel like I'm well into the industry now and uh, I should be for quite a while. Amazing. So before we unpack some general chat about the industry and about sales and what breweries can do to increase their sales, let's talk about some of the experience you've got. So you start with Beer 52 about four years ago. Yeah, so that that was first foray and had a very general role there, which was just to take lap subscription customers who had left the service and try and convince them to come back on to the beer subscription. I ended up jumping on to Ferment Magazine, which was just a kind of a subscription magazine, which was within Beer 52's boxes. That was the first thing that I helped kind of grow and where I picked up a lot of experience. So what sort of things did you have to do for Ferment Magazine? 
So Ferment Magazine was not a commercial magazine. It wasn't uh, an industry magazine. If you got a box of Beer 52 beer, then you knew about the magazine. If you didn't get a box of beer from Beer 52, the likelihood is you would have never known about Ferment Magazine. Hmm. So changed that. It was to bring the magazine out into the industry and it was also to, to commercialise it and to have it paying for itself, to have it generating an income. Right. Uh, but the, the most important thing was that, you know, Ferment was in the hands of beer drinkers outside of that beer box at the time of them drinking a beer. Because it used to be like a newspaper type magazine, didn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And they had to massively change the format to, well, one, make it more appealing you know, add a bit more value to the box and the magazine needed to be taken a bit more serious. Because there's a lot of these beer subscription boxes you've got. I mean, you've got Beer 52, Flavourly. Um, oh, they, they always say you should never start a list. No, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, I'm already in there. I've waited in now. You know, some of which have been on things like Dragon's Den, you know, to, to help them get kickstarted. I think Flavourly was the one on, on Dragon's Den um, quite a few years ago. And you worked for Flavourly as well, didn't you? Yeah, so that's probably been my longest serving client as Bearded Beer Baron. And, yeah, again, just providing consultancy to them oh, right, okay, yeah. for certain projects that they were putting together or trying to achieve. So about five five years ago, the, the kind of beer clubs were coming through into conception. Beer 52 and Flavourly were both within the same startup business hub. The two owners were best friends at the time. Mm. So they all kind of came about on the back of kind of Beer 52, I would probably say, was the, the first of that um, new service. So what are some of the challenges that face the beer subscription market in particular? For the consumer, it's trusting the, the, the service. It's understanding that this the service isn't of detriment to the, to the industry. I think from the subscription side, the company side of things, it's by being able to procure the products, probably the biggest challenge that they have. It's getting the beer that they need at the right price points mm. to then be able to, to sell. The thing about the, the beer subscription market at the moment is it's saturated, massively competitive. So the margins in those um, boxes generally isn't as much as anyone would believe it is. Yep. For now, what they're trying to do is build a, a customer base and to have the right product, and that's kind of the two main challenges that they're doing. When you say say the consumer has the problem, are we talking about like untapped beer nerd, essentially? I've got a lot of friends that subscribe to something like Beer 52, and although they like beers and that they've kind of taken their appreciation of beer beyond, you know, scouting out what's on a supermarket shelf to getting something a little bit more specialist, they might not be quite there with your cloud waters and your verdants and all the rest of it so is it is it not a good halfway house or are we talking about a small segment of customers or you know is this it was this a kind of wider feeling generally speaking yes yeah, so the uh, the criticizers are, are the smallest percentage of craft beer drinkers they obviously shout the loudest they they do care the most they are the most passionate mm. but you are talking you know those that believe they found craft beer before everyone else found craft beer Right, And so this was when, you know, there was only a few hundred breweries. They really were very small, very independent, very local. And that's, I think that's where a lot of people really would like craft beer to stay um, and not grow and not become mass market and not reach new consumers that hadn't heard of an independent brewery before. I think they're massively protective over it, which is, I have absolutely no problem with that whatsoever. 
Um, but there does need to be a little bit of a mind change in there. And I think it's starting to happen. Yeah. With the subscription boxes, the good thing about it is it's usually discovery beer. Yeah. You know, you're not going to get, um, you know, many high ABV, you know, crazily over ingredient or, or over amplified this, that or the next thing. Generally, they will be safer beers. It's more about discovering new breweries. It's more about discovering a new safe style away from your lager or your Pilsner, whatever people were drinking before. Mm. And then that then does lead back to the subscription model where maybe a customer's actually only really good for three months. Right. After three months and 30 beers being chosen for them, a lot of people feel that they're educated enough to then go out and make their own decisions when choosing craft beer. So then that's when you'll see them starting to hit the independent bottle shops. Um, they'll start heading into you know more craft-led bars, tap rooms, micros, etc., and that, so they do have a short time span within a beer club, generally. Um, so they don't have that subscription for the whole year. It really is about, you know, I don't know anything about craft beer. I don't know who other breweries are. It's easier for someone else to pick them for me and then give them a, a portion of money to do that. Now, it's, it's interesting um, with the subscription thing. I mean, just, just dialing it back to being more independent, do you, do you think that more breweries themselves should start offering their own similar services but just for their beers or maybe club together with some other local breweries from a particular area you know where where they can um you know ship beers out to people because i mean i was listening to another beer podcast the other day all about um uh, this belgian brewery where they I think I can't remember how much it was uh, a month or a year, but you get allocated X amount of beers over that year, and and they'll be like really exclusive. You know, we've made two hundred liters of this uh, wild fermented Belgian lambic. <laughs> I can't think how to yeah, describe no, that. no, exactly. The pro- the problem is, I mean, you're looking at one percent of anyone that will drink a beer is probably going to take that on. Mm. Problems breweries even just have within the UK just trying to sell uh, a pick and mix box of their own beer online is generally they lose they will lose money on sending a box of beer around the country. Yeah, the logistics, the delivery costs, uh, the manpower in the breweries, it makes it pretty much impossible. And I can name probably half a dozen breweries in the UK that um, actually sell beer online efficiently. Yeah, everyone else cannot do it. Well, they do do it, but they shouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. um, so one of the projects with Flavorly was Flavorly have a massive warehouse. They have a massive team that are their main job is to pick and mix boxes of beer, get them sent out to anywhere in the country within the next day. Right. Cheaply and efficiently as possible. And they've spent a lot of money putting that together. So one of the projects was, okay, breweries that do want to sell their beer online, Flavorly can buy their allocation of stock and they can act as their online shop. That then gives access into cheaper delivery rates, um, access to other areas of the country that generally they wouldn't have been able to sell to before. And it gives them a bit of extra margin back on the beer by selling it before mm. um, actually sold it. So that's kind of helps keep the pricing down. Uh, online beers generally are a bit more expensive because they have to cover that margin. Yep. So it then makes them a bit un- uncompetitive against you know your more physical locations or, or they're, they're having to sell their beer more expensive than you know the local shop around the corner mm. and you know having those you know four or five different prices for a beer uh, it's not sustainable this 
taps into a question I was going to ask a little later on, but with so much beer generally being available to consumers, I mean, everyone's fighting for the same limited shelf space or tap lines. I mean, what advice would you give them to increase their sales and make a name for themselves? Because there's so much beer out there, as you're saying, and most breweries have got some kind of core range and then trying to tap into their specialty beer markets, you know, for one-offs and stuff. And then some will even diversify, particularly they're more traditional, and have an additional brand. So they've got their their, their main trad brand and then a, a quote-unquote craft brand. Like, what, what would you say to people in that market maybe the ones who are listening to this who started i don't know five five years ago or so and rode the that kind of new wave of breweries who are now a bit like oh crap crap i'm in it now and i, I remortgaged my house and sold a, a kidney <laughs> to pay for a brew kettle and that that's a it is gen it's actually a daily conversation mm. you know it, it doesn't matter who i speak to um it's it, the same problem absolutely everywhere and People that were buying their beer or, or are buying their beer, yet again, it's such a small percentage of people that are drinking a beer. So they focused for three, four years on turning around a new beer every two or three weeks to satisfy that hunger. Mm. The problem is they've now developed a, a customer base of bars, pubs, box shops that will never buy the same beer twice. It doesn't matter how quickly and how appreciated the beer went down you know it, it sorry that you know that beer went down great it lasted you know one night and the brewery says perfect would you like another one? Oh no no we're rotating now we, we can't we don't do that again it's not a permanent line so the, the it's it's almost the the industry is almost a hindrance to itself in that fact that everyone wants something new so tap rooms that have 10 15 lines on you know won't have permanent lines they rotate every couple of weeks, every month, or whenever they're doing it. So what breweries need to do is start shifting their brain and realising there's another 65% of discovery beer drinkers that, you know, there's a huge slice of people who are not targeting. Now, with that, you do have to tone down the beer. You do have to think more of having a core range so that if somebody wants 20 beers in a box, which are all the same, they're happy to drink it. Mm. it's difficult for people to do that just now because maybe out of 20 beers that that brewery can produce that larger chunk of the market may only like two or three of those beers so it's just it literally just about shifting that mindset you can still be a craft brewer going for people that are drinking you know commercial big brands you know the, the job is still to take those people away i think those that are really excited about finding new craft beer and are jumping on the kind of bandwagon I think those people have already found it. So now what it's about is, is finding the other people, um, which that's now starting to grow into that bigger base of customers. So I think the breweries need to move with that and, and not try and just be that small craft brewer that, you know, has a new beer every two or three weeks or, you know, if they've got 10 beers, nine of them are amazingly exciting, hard to come by. Yep. I guess this comes down to the the kinds of people that often run breweries in particular. You know, a, a vast majority of people that run breweries pretty much came into it because they were home brewers, they loved beer, yes. and they were essentially technicians rather than entrepreneurs. You know, the, the entrepreneur is someone who 
knows how to run a business and yeah. and knows how to all the aspects of cash flow and all the rest of it whereas a technician obviously knows how to make beer in this instance but you know it's it, it it's like the people that are brewing these beers lo- love different beer styles and stuff so in some ways it's like the the brewers to an extent have have driven that side of the market but are haven't really thought about the general consumer you know the 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 ninety ninety five percent of people out there who just like you know what I just want a beer. No, exactly, and and I've come into the industry from completely the other side. So I've come in from more of a business aspect. So I come in more with a you know how do we make profit? How do we identify customers? How do we grow our market? How do we um, become more sustainable? How do we become more efficient? How can we reduce our margins? How can we negotiate this that the next thing? So it does infuriate me, but at the same time. That's how it started because people wanted to make better beer and felt that they had to go and do it themselves. Now, four, five, six years later, now they have a business to run. With all the will in the world and all the passion and excitement, you know, making beer and running a business, it's a very different thing. Yep. I couldn't even tell you how many breweries don't seem to have a five-year plan, which is scary. Um, It is a day-to-day industry at the moment. It's to take everything it comes. It's to find the customers that we can on a daily basis, shifting beer furiously. Mm. Uh, there isn't. You can see the breweries that do have a plan because they're doing things yeah. quickly. It's interesting you say that because um, I'm, I'm also a, a musician for, for my sins, or I don't do as much music now. I run Hot Forward day to day, but um, you know, I I know of all the musicians I've ever met, um, one has had a business plan, you know, and effectively like being a musician, like a touring musician, it's, it's a business, you know, that you, you, you're, you're a seasoned entertainer. And it's so when I came into the beer industry, although I came into it as somebody that, you know, effectively a home brewer, I had a bit more of a, background in branding and, and business and stuff so I came in and, and everything you just described about not having a plan you know I, I encountered with the first brewery I worked for and I'd be, I'd be saying yeah well, what's the business plan they'd be like I'll get it off the shelf hang on yeah. <sighs> blow the dust off there you go it's like well this plan's from like 2006 you know yeah, and <laughs> that's 10 years it, ago it, it is scary it is scary um, but the, the problem then is that the breweries that realise we, we need some outside information from more developed industry, um, they, you know, they, they can't attract people from another industry with the relevant experience to help push their business forward, whether that be operations, logistics, whether it's having purchasing looked at, whatever aspect of the business, because there's four people generally in a brewery and they just do all the jobs. Yeah. And... They just do it to the best of their abilities and what they've been able to teach themselves. Some use outside help, um, but the problem is, is you, you know, it's really difficult for small breweries, vast majority of breweries just now, to put £30,000 aside to try and attract someone from another industry in a similar job to, to come into an industry that they don't know to try and push it forward. So it's a lot of stalemate at the moment. Yep. And I just think breweries that don't have a, a five-year plan or don't know how to strategically run the brewery, they either need to, you know, firm up their local um, and, and regional customer base and focus on that and just 
keep doing what they're doing. I think if, if you want to grow your business, if you want to make a really good profit, if you want to, you know, actually have the best a career, not just a great hobby that pays the bill. You know, nobody needs that stress in life. <laughs> There's probably a lot of people out there listening to you right now being like, yep, yep. <laughs> you just do not need the stress of, you know, I need to do 50 hours this week to just kind of cover everything. Yeah. But then you're in a vicious cycle where the things you need to grow, you can't afford because there's no cash flow. You know, the cash flow in the beer industry is horrendous. Yeah. Um, and these things are going to stifle so much. And there's a very, very, very high chance that a small number of breweries, the ones that are already moving, um, are going to take up a lot of that big space that, you know, a lot of these breweries are trying to get into a lot will not survive in the next couple of years and it's going to be so sad to watch. Um, so I think they need to decide really quickly now what, they, what they're doing. So how sustainable do you think running a small microbrewery is today? I mean, we're, we're talking five to ten barrels here. I think you might have just answered the question in everything you just said. but um... it, It's going to depend on what you want from it, I suppose, if it's your brewery and the staff that, that work for you I suppose as well, or your partners that have helped you on board, everyone, everyone's kind of in it for something different I mean, but most people are in it because they wanted to make better beer, so it's how many people do you want to make better beer for you know, is it literally just throwing out a few kegs into the local area and it, you know, it just becomes a side project to towards your full time job then you'll grow it to that level and you'll probably be okay there um, there'll always be a hunger for local brands like there was before this even happened. Mm. If you want to, I think it'll break up into kind of three different segments eventually. You know, you'll have your, you'll still have your very local, very local brands that you can only generally get within that very small mile radius of where the brewery is. Then, you know, we might see more big regional breweries. So obviously, most of the big regional breweries just now are still the old school, hundred and fifty year old traditional estates. Some of them are looking like they understand how to make that transition into what beer is going to be in five years' time. Mm. Some of them really aren't, and they're doing awful at it, and it's probably more embarrassing than helpful. And I think some of what we consider to be smaller craft breweries will become you know, your next big you know, 150-year-old breweries with the nice big estates of um, bars and venues, etc., and then there will be, you know, your, you know, your your huge ones that are mostly available up and down the UK, um, and we'll see that, you know, tapless change or, and the style change as well. I mean, we're moving dramatically more into IPAs and pale ales now. A lot of a lot of places still go into, you know, they've got thick taps. It's all commercial lager. Yep. I think we'll see, you know, maybe twenty percent of what we've got just now, ten percent of what we've got just now, actually become those next. You know, most commonly seen. Yep. And then regional, and then your your smaller local, but it's not going to be twenty two hundred different breweries. <laughs> you know, there's there's absolutely no way that that's going to happen. Mm. You know, so a lot of people need to decide if it's something serious that they want to do, because in a few years' time, it might not become possible at all. So I, I think any business really worth its salt wants to get, keep, and grow customers. You know, it's, it's January, the pub trade struggles a lot because obviously everyone's overdone it at Christmas you know you've got the whole dryingery thing then on the other hand you've got people trying to get people to drink beer through trinary and uh, and so on 
what would you say with your extensive years of experience in sales like what what would you say to those businesses whether it's a a brewery listen to this or maybe a bar or even the other end of the supply chain you know supplier of raw ingredients or whatever you know that's all re- relying on that end consumer drinking the be- the beer um, wh- what sort of things and suggestions would you say as far as sales tips are concerned and, and what they can do to maximize their sales and, and to grow their customer base well uh, yeah i mean i think i think everyone knows in this industry whatever whatever part of it you're in there's downtime you know it, it is seasonal it is only a couple of months where it, it's quite a significant drop off but we've known that for long enough now you know we know that when it's november december january february wear a jacket when you go outside you know prepare for that you know that <laughs> yeah. that's the case that's the same every year so you just know that to, you're putting your jacket on before you leave the house you know, use the downtime to prepare for, you know, the, the eight months of busy or the seven months of busy that we're going to have. You know, sell as, as much as you possibly can. You know, if that, if that means, you know, looking at pricing, looking at the customer that you're selling to over those months, you know, maybe that's a perfect opportunity to look at, you know, th- th- let's look at doing our export during that time let's go and find the customer you know there's somebody out there for the product to buy you just need to you know work your business so that you can actually sell it to them. Mm. if you can plan you know two or three months of a year where right okay the customer that wants to buy this beer is not here that means exporting that means that you can plan you know a really exciting proposal that should hopefully make you very appealing proposition to an exporter, a distributor, whoever that might be, to target that customer. People are still drinking. It's just the the, the place that they're drinking and the, the habit of the drinking and probably the spend of the drinking isn't the same as, you know, spring, summer, into that early kind of bottom stage. You've just got to adapt the, the kind of business and plan for these things as best possible. And if it means having downtime, then use that time to fully prepare for the next again. Yep. And what about obtaining new customers? Because I think you know, getting customers and acquiring them is is probably the most expensive part of any business because you've obviously got to take a lot of time to develop those relationships. And yep. you know, so many people are like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll buy, and then like you know, months go by, and you know, you, you know, you you speak to them again, you follow it up. Oh, you know, would you like to take that cask now? Oh, yeah, I'm still thinking about it. And, you know, it's like yeah. <laughs> until someone's actually handed the money over, <laughs> then it's not a sale. Um, you know, and, and I think I know from a lot of people I know in the industry, particularly in the sort of smaller end of um, the, the brewing sector, you know, like there are a lot of brewers out there that, hey, you know, who are running their own businesses. I like, just hate talking to people. Which I think, you know, if, if you're in a business, like, y- you've got to network and stuff. But, you know, and then there's other people that will be like, oh, I'm just going to pick up the phone every Monday. Would you like to buy some more beer? No. Okay, bye, bye, please, bye. You know, and it's it, and so it's, it, it is hard to physically make those sales. But, like, what, what suggestions and advice would you give to people when it comes to, like, actually getting a new customer and getting them to buy from you regularly? 
I mean, you've just got to ask people. Um, I mean, I've done all sorts of sales. I've done the mostly telesales, but I've done the, you know, sit on the phone and do 300 phone calls a day, ask 100 people if they want to buy because you'll get 10 of them to say yes. Mm. You can do that game. I've done that game. It's very time consuming. The, the problem in this industry actually is time. You know, there yep. isn't time to do anything. There isn't time to add something, to do something. Um, even finding somebody to give those jobs to become too much time because constantly on the make for yourself or make for yourself here, there's nothing left to do apart from that. So what the, the tact I take with Beardy Beer Baron is I decide, you know, who I'd like to, to do business with and I'll take them something um, or I'll show them something that they've not seen before or I'll... I build that relationship early, in the and then they'll buy. I don't ask them to buy. Um, so if I, for me, selling Loch Lomond at the moment, which is completely brand new to me, before four years in the industry, I bought a lot of beer. Not once have I actually sold one. Mm. So I'm on the other side now. So this is kind of all completely new to me. The actual physical effort of selling beer, because at the end of the day. You know, there's 2,200 breweries all doing the same thing that day, is trying to sell their beer. So, with Loch Lomans, for me, a large part is going around the venues um, that already buy our beer. That was the first port of call: is who's buying my beer at the moment, or who's bought my beer in the past. That's where I'm going to start. That's the low-hanging fruit. Um, they they know the company, they know the business, they know the product. They won't taste. I'm not going to have to spend a lot of time on them to try and get them to buy. But focus on the people that are already buying the product. Then that leads on to, you know, what more do you want from the book? What more can we do? You know, there's some pubs that I'm speaking to just now that would really like to have their own kind of house branded beer now. They think it's time that they kind of know their customer base. They know that generally their their customer buys a lot of, um, you know, pale ales. So what they'd like to do is they'd like to put a permanent tap in, you know, accommodate that as best as humanly possible. It's time to start getting permanent lines. It's time to start saying to a pub, you know, give me one of, give me that Brava line, you know, give me that um, Carling line and I'll give you something. Um, it's time to start saying, right, you've got 15 taps on rotation, you know, have a light beer and a dark beer under your own brand and I'll accommodate that because I know I'll get the volume from it's time to start playing a little bit smarter. Mm. Uh, it's about going out and creating it with Loch Lomond as well. It's, it's looking at a different customer base. You know, it's looking away from the, you know, typing into Google craft beer bars in my area. It's about taking. There's a lot more. There's a lot more people and in other industries, other businesses that are looking at craft beer. Like for instance, and this is like a little free a free lead for, for whoever is listening. Boutique hotels in areas, um, you know, four or five star hotels. Yep. They have lovely furnishing. They have the best bed linen in the world, the best mattresses, the best service. The food that they put on is generally tremendous. Where they lack is generally what's on sale behind a bar. 
Mm. They now understand that as a luxury business, there's now a luxury drink out there that they can offer people. And as local and regional breweries, they should be the first attractive um, proposition for the places to start looking away from commercial beer. They understand their customers want, you know, local. That's why, for instance, up here in Edinburgh, most of these boutique um, hotels have tartan carpet, tartan curtain, bags on the wall. You know, very tweedy Scottish. Yep. But then their their beer list is Italian and Belgian and you know Dutch. They are now looking at you know having a traditional Scottish brand on, having a new type of beer on, moving away from Guinness and adding a, a local stout. So, it's you know looking away from your easy target. You know, it's very easy to just go around the same circle. You know, there's new circles forming, you know, start jumping into them. Mm. I remember talking to James Calder from Seba at BRX last yep. year. And uh, we were discussing, the, there'd been, I think it was like a cask, it was might be the cask report um, or the, the Seba report they do. And we were talking about that if you break the pie chart down, um, if I remember it rightly, so this is quite a crude breakdown, but it'll, you know, give the analogy, something like 51% of all beer sales are off, off license trade. Yep. There's a, a quarter which are, um, on license, but like pubs. And then out of that quarter, there's a tiny percentage that's free trade that or you know, or, or pub groups, even that, um, independent brewers have access to so everyone's it was something silly like 14 percent or something so there's all these breweries going for this 14 percent. but the other quarter of the pie chart are like you've just mentioned like um hotels cinemas theaters etc gift shops where yeah. um brewers don't target and i i wonder whether some of this comes down to particularly for again i'm, I'm not just tarnishing all smaller brewers when i say this by by any stretch um but i I wonder whether that this comes down to for some people oh it's just quote unquote management crap you know you know when you're talking about things like um you've got work on your business not in your business and, and all those kind of things like it's almost like all the helpful stuff you can say when you're advising somebody on on their business and bringing your your business and marketing and sales skills to somebody it's almost like the shutters go down because maybe they've come from a corporate background um where you know you, you had inspiration days and all the or whatever it is you know and um they're just like oh i, I left all that i want to leave all that but it's almost like well I've, you've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. i mean do you, do, you, do you think that's a bit of a problem in in the brewing industry particularly with amongst brewers in particular i mean it's something i've seen yeah, no, look, listen, I think if you're going to target the this, this smallest percentage of the market, then you're only ever going to get the smallest percentage of the market. And you're only going to even get a small percentage of the smallest percentage. So I don't argue too much with people um, in this. Uh, you know, some people have completely turned themselves off to that. And, you know, if, that, if that's the way that they are going to do it, then, you know, that's the way that they're going to do it. I don't think that they'll... And if they don't want a business, they you know they don't want a business. They mm-hmm. won't have one. 
you know, it is as simple as that. I mean, this was a hobby. It was a, it was a craft. It was a very small segregation. It's now no longer that. If people want to stay and try and maintain that, then there are, they, they, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, if they don't want to be small and not be a business and not think about growth, that they'll die. Because I wouldn't want to say that. And it, it, it's not the case. Um, you know, the smallest of breweries have been out there for a long time and they will still be. Mm. What well, I think if people want to, if people are moaning about the growth of their business in terms of I'm not making any more money, I'm not getting any more customers, I'm not getting any bigger. There will be a reason for that, you know, and it's, it's, it's probably because they are just going to the same people. They're just staying in their own little bubble. They're staying in their, their little circle of kind of like-minded people that they know. And that's, you know, that that's fine. And people that want to get their brewery to be a huge, substantial size, they've remortgaged their house so much, they've slaved away for seven, eight, nine, ten years. And, you know, a big brand comes along and buys them and they sell. You know, yet again, absolutely no problem with that whatsoever. I'd do it. And I think there's so many brewers out there that will do that and would do that if they were offered enough or what they believed was enough. Yeah, well, it's like when Magic Rock sold to Lion. Um, you know, I, I know there was a, a huge amount of uproar about that. You know, and I, I love Magic Rock. And I emailed Richard and was like, you know, well done. Because I, I knew from conversation I had with him before, you know, like every, everything him and his family had sacrificed for that, you know, and and not not just him personally, but, you know, the family. And yeah. oh, I, he should be congratulated on being a good businessman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, I, yeah, I know yeah. not everyone everyone sees that way, and I, I guess it comes down to your values and and all the rest of it. Um, you, you touched upon Lock Lomond, so tell us a little bit about the work you do with them. Yeah, so Lock Lomond wasn't a brewery I was greatly aware of um, before becoming aware of, and that was through direct contact, through Flavorly. We're doing some projects. And Lock Loman became part of what I was doing with them. I kind of kept dealing with them on a on a regular basis, and then the discussion started about me jumping on and helping them with their kind of next year's well this year next year's plan. And for Lock Loman, it's they're having you know maybe a different problem to a lot of the industry, and where they've been going for seven years, which you know in, in kind of beer terms is actually getting on and getting on to being quite old they've got a really good production rate of solid um customers but they are more traditional cask beer here in scotland mm. so that's where they started and done a lot of what they've done and it supported them a lovely nice new brewery um really solid production that's now allowing them to start looking at you know, becoming cool, doing, you know, those rotational beers and doing what, you know, we believe craft beer brewers are doing at the moment. So they've got that different challenge where they haven't spent the first three or four years of their life being hypey and cool and dramatic and, you know, um, controversial and the beers are, you know, small and exciting and, you know, you know, for Loman, they've not done a lot of collaborations. They don't do a lot of the big beer festivals 
uh, they do a lot of beer festivals, but not what probably we would consider to be those 10 you have to get to in a year to have a lot of good craft beer. Yeah. So now they need to go out there, make some friends, get to the festivals, get into... Um, they need to get into the, the kind of smaller um, section of the, the market because they're, they're, you know, they're doing well in the other aspects, but I think they do need to kind of raise their profile and their brand that way. And, yeah, so that's why I'm on board. I've got a really kind of good friend circle um, and a lot of good contacts. So, yeah, it's just about kind of introducing them to as many people as I possibly know. Yep. I mean, what have been some of the challenges in changing public perceptions of a, a traditional brewery into a quote-unquote craft brewery? I mean, yeah, again, it's it's kind of the people that I'm speaking to just now, it's, it's a new project. I'm only a few months into it. I'm going out to people that are buying the product already. I'm going out to the people that have, you know, bought it in the past, maybe haven't. It's, it's about me understanding the, the brand perfection as it is just now. It's looking at the customers that they do sell to. Is there an opportunity where these, you know, when, when we're doing the, the releases of special collaboration beers, can I count on these accounts being the first ones to, to take them on? Do I have the customer base already that will take these, you know, slightly more amplified, not lock in beers? Is that customer base already sufficiently there that's going to make this work? And, and then on the other side is, you know, where aren't lock Loman? You know, where can I take them? You know, what mm. type of people should I be introducing them to? Uh, you know, collaborations are a great way to tap into, you know, another brewery's customer base and vice versa. So, yeah, it's just breaking it down into kind of little... Little simple steps. It's what festivals, you know, can we take Loch Lomond to? Generally, Loch Lomond, you know, who I speak to, is, oh, we like the beer. We just don't see them that much. Um, and it's trying not to be too tweed. It's trying not to be too Scottish because it would be too easy to do that. Um, you know, I, I can sell Loch Lomond Brewery based on Scottish tweed in a lot of places, and I will. But it's hard to go from traditional cafe brewer that hasn't been greatly controversial or made a lot of noise to then start making some noise mm. uh, or you know how, how best to do that so that you don't you know where the big traditionals fail is you know they've been doing what they've been doing for a long long time and then they suddenly come out with this craft brand and it sometimes can feel massively ridiculous and completely and utterly averse to what they were trying to do in the first place i kind of look at the offsets and salt is a really good example of how you can start changing you know, the, the business that you're doing and targeting a whole new customer set. Like yep. If anyone wants to look at what they've done as a traditional brewer, it's obviously, you know, they, they have financial backing there to be able to do it properly. But massively exciting little project that they've done. Um, and I'd, I'd implore anyone to go and see that. Brilliant. Well, thanks for being on the podcast today, David. How, how can people connect with you and find out more about you? Yeah, I mean, at the moment, I am building the, the websites. Um I mean, probably Facebook. Uh, there is a Facebook page there, um, which I, I can generally respond to. Uh, if people follow that, it would be great. And, yeah, email address. Email is probably the best way for, for any form of contact. Facebook is where you'll see everything that I've done. Um, I'm generally floating about something or moaning about something or hmm. somebody and something. My, my Facebook's really good for kind of contact as well, so I'd implore anyone who just wants to see a... a, a a lot of people through a lot of wide aspects of the industry and connect. I mean, my LinkedIn as well is great for that. Sort of anyone jump on there and kind of rifle through any leads that they want. Amazing, brilliant. Well, thank you. Not a problem at all. Thank you for having me. 
Today's episode of the Hot Forward Podcast was proudly brought to you by Premi Systems, creator of Brewman, the UK's number one brewery management software used by over 200 breweries and distilleries of all shapes and sizes. The end-to-end system covers all back-office functions such as CRM, stock control, distribution, cash tracking, reporting, raw material purchase ordering and traceability. Brewman helps brewers focus on making great beer, not doing paperwork. Brewman is a cloud-based subscription service with no long-term contracts, so it's great on your cash flow, on there's no setup fees, and it starts from just £20 a month. If you'd like more information about Brewman or to book a demo of the software, then it just makes sense to get in touch with them on 02380-811-100. That's 02380-811-100. Or email them at sales at premiesystems.com or visit their website, premiesystems.com. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Forward podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Hi,